Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro and Strength and Speed owner, Evan Preparis. I have two other Conquer the Gauntlet Pros in the line. So back on the show, we have Lisa Nondorf. Hey, guys. And Doug Snyder again. Hello, everyone. So we wanted to cover a bunch of information, and I didn't want to uh, you know, bring a guest on and end up having to talk over him half the time or her half the time. So we really wanted to recap some of the stuff from the last couple of weeks. Before we get that to that, though, quick word from our sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Stokeshed. Stokeshed is the newest sponsor of the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team. If you're not familiar with them, they are a multimedia-based company that is based out of Tulsa. So they make videos for local brands, essentially. So music videos, they do videos for Conquer Fitness, they've done videos for Conquer the Gauntlet. Uh, they did a video for basically me at the last Conquer the Gauntlet race, which I was totally not expecting. They just kind of produced it and was like, oh, here, I have this video for you. And I was like, this thing's freaking awesome. So, yeah, yeah, if you've seen it, you may have seen it on my timeline. It's called uh, Focus or Deep Work or something like that, talking about, you know, concentration during races. So check them out. Doug and Lisa, what are your thoughts on uh, Stoke Shed? Um, I ran into them at Oklahoma City Conquer the Gauntlet unexpectedly i i saw one of them carrying a nice camera and they came by the pro team tent and we just kind of struck up a conversation and then and then it wasn't until after that i realized who they were and why they were there so it was kind of neat to meet them you know outside of you know the sponsorship circle and uh and it turned out that they had snapped a bunch of pictures of me at the Dallas Conquer the Gauntlet and did some really nice editing on them. And so I have a good little portfolio of pictures to use for some future promotions. Yeah, they are awesome. So Stoke Shed is run by Bobby Ross and Victoria Ross, uh, husband and wife. And definitely head over and check out their videos. I think the coolest part is it's, I like to call it non-traditional OCR coverage. So it's not like a typical, oh, here's a race, here's a bunch of their obstacles, here's a bunch of music. It's they kind of take things a little bit deeper and take it from a different angle. So I'm really excited to see what they come up with for us uh, in the next year, and actually two years because we're going to be working with them for the next two years. But, yeah, go ahead and get, give Stoke Shed a, a like and check out some of their videos. All right, let's move on to the show. Well, yeah. So let's, let's move on to the show. So this episode we're going to be covering kind of three or four different topics here. One, Lisa actually – did our first race back, the Alpine Adventure Challenge. Doug also did a race this past weekend called Hero Dash. I was supposed to do Tough Mudder Long Island. And then on top of that, the week before, we had Toughest Mudder uh, Central or Minneapolis in addition to Conquer the Gauntlet. And Doug and Lisa were pit crew for Corinne and Andy Hardy. So we're going to get to all that this episode. We're going to start off, though, with Lisa... And we talked about her last time she was on the episode about her torn bicep. Now, you just raced this past weekend, so give us a rundown on how it went and kind of where you see things going in the future. Okay. The PT that I've been doing for my rotator cuff has been, like, 
putting it stronger. Um, so even though I'm back, I am still being extremely cautious. So the weekend that we were in Iowa, I was able to complete, I was able to complete Pegatron. And so that made me pretty excited. I've been back to rock climbing, um, things like that. And so I decided to just jump into a race and it was just a small local race, but it was a mandatory obstacle completion race. It did have monkey bars. It did, have, you know, walls, things like that. You're normal. Um, and it was on a ski slope. So it, it still, it still felt like a, a normal race. It just was kind of lower key. The monkey bars were, I call them baby monkey bars. They definitely weren't the long ones, but I just wanted to get my feet wet and remind myself what it felt like because training is very different than racing. And just because you're in training mode doesn't always mean that you're capable of going out and running a race. And I wanted that feeling of where am I at? And I figured that was a good, get your feet wet, feel what it's going to be like to be back in a race. And was I capable of being back in a race? I love that you're like, oh, I, I did Pegatron, even though I've been injured for several months. Like most healthy people can't do that. So <laughs> Pegatron yeah. with one bicep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Pegatron. I always make jokes. That's my new joke now is, I mean, I have one bicep and I have half the rotator cuff left. So, I mean, what else do you need? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the Alpine Adventure Challenge. Uh, what are some of the obstacles? How long was it? You know, where was the race? Okay, it was a 5K. It was at Little Switzerland. So if anybody in the area has ever run terrain race, it's run on the same course in Little Switzerland. They actually made us go up and down the ski slope more times than they do, they've done in the past with terrain race. Terrain race, they've let us run some of the trails. The Alpine Adventure, I just felt like we were just going up and down and up and down and up and down. So for me, there wasn't much ground for me to open up and run. I didn't taper for this event. I didn't do it, you know, because I knew it was just, hey, how is this going to feel? So there, I was pretty beat up from doing some sprints a couple days earlier. But the obstacles were... I mean, there was eight foot wall. They had monkey bars. Um, they had, they called them lily pads. They just took the tubes because it was a ski slope. They took the tubes you ride on and linked them all together and you had to run across them. Or should I say like run, fall, and then slide across them? Because <laughs> <laughs> it was rough. And then um, they did have like this big, huge slide. There was a lot of mud pits. Um, and then they had this slack line. <laughs> <laughs> like it just... Yeah, that was the worst thing I've ever been on. So, Doug, I think you told me you figured out what it was made of. I thought it was like tire because it was yeah. super bouncy and rubber. Right. It was uh, an industrial belt, like a rubber flat belt that was about, what, four or six inches wide mm -hmm. um, with holes drilled in it. It was for something in the ski slope operation. But, yeah, go on with that. <laughs> yeah, it it put slack line to shame. So I would say that the people that made it across on top, like running it, sprinted across it and would go flying. I'm a little more cautious because again, I'm injured. So I have to be a little bit more careful. So the, what was holding this rubber belt up were two concrete blocks. So if you fell forward, you risked hitting a concrete block. So I decided the brilliant idea would be to crawl on my stomach, do army crawl over the top of it. So I did make it, but 
there were some sacrifices to my skin, <laughs> but I did make it across. So that, I mean, to finish the race and be 100% obstacle completion, the only issue I had at all was um, the slack line. I did have to retry that a couple times. And then, like I said, I did have to crawl it. Um, and I was a little more timid just playing things safe um, than I probably needed to be. So, but it was, it was a good, I mean, it, it felt good. It felt good to be back out on the race course. It felt good to be back out racing. Um, it like, it just felt good. So it made me leave and go, Ooh, Savage is next weekend. Maybe, <laughs> but I also know I don't want to re-injure. I want to keep going the path I'm going. Um, I do have some ideas about the next couple months, what my season might look like before I have surgery. So I want to plan for that as opposed to try something too big and put myself back on injury. Yeah, well, it sounds like it went great, and I've I've used that crawl across your, on your stomach slack line at Conquer the Gauntlet before, which it it is allowed because it just says cross by essentially by any means necessary. And I remember I remember going to sleep that night, and like so I had this open essentially abrasion on my stomach. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and like my skin on my stomach is healing to my shirt. And I was like, "Oh!" And I go to take a piss, and I like pull on my shirt, and I was like, "Ah, what the?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Off the scab. It was uh, yeah. less than pleasant, but you know. Yeah, mad. it was my inner thighs that took it. So I was wearing like shorts afterwards, and they kept rubbing, and I was like, "Oh, that really, really hurts." I was like, "Oh!" So my inner thighs <laughs> from squeezing the rubber so that it wouldn't just flip over took kind of the burn but then finding out that I was the only girl to actually do the obstacle after the race made everything a little bit better yeah. so in fact they told me I was probably the only girl of the day that made that obstacle <laughs> there was very few people that actually made it across there didn't have an attendant at that obstacle so when most people figured out they weren't getting across including some of the top males they just decided to bypass thinking nobody would make it, so they just ran around it. That's unfortunate. Yeah. You know, it's a small local race, and it wasn't timed, and so it was just the first people to cross the finish line. That's where they pulled from, and it didn't, you know, you didn't run with a band or anything. Like I said, it was a small race. Yeah. But my win was I made it across. I was able to swing on monkey bars as opposed to hand matching the whole way. So I said that my win was – I got to go run a race, keep my band, and I learned I can do monkey bars now. And it was in Wisconsin, right, you said? Mm -hmm. It was in Wisconsin. It was in Milwaukee, in the Milwaukee area. So just north of Milwaukee. And I guess officially you finished third? Officially I finished third. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. And let's back up a little bit more. So that's a great, great news story. Good to see you kind of, you know, with one foot back in the water there. Uh, back in action. Uh, the week before was Conquer the Gauntlet and Toughest Mudder. So, Doug, give me a quick rundown of Conquer the Gauntlet, Iowa. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, so this was my second year to do the race in Iowa. And the course was fairly familiar. Um, I It, it was... Uh, a little cooler than I expected that morning, which was a big advantage. But then there was also light rain at the same time. So the normal grip obstacles all got way worse than I've ever experienced before. 
um, you know, like the Tarzan rig, things were slippery. Um, I picked the lane that had the one nunchuck that didn't have a cap screwed on the bottom. <laughs> no, you can't go with that lane. That one sucks. Yeah, there, well, there's there was a that. new hold on Tarzan too. Oh, the steering wheel thing. Yeah, so it's a, it's like about a 12 inch steering wheel that's suspended in nice. the middle, so it's flat. And when you grab one side of it, you know, it just kind of flops down. Yeah. Uh, but that little drop can peel your hand off of it pretty easily. And with it being wet and shiny new paint, it was very smooth. Um, I did have to do a retry on that because I went from the uncapped nunchuck to that steering wheel and it was like two bad grabs in a row. <laughs> but then it might be on the live video. <laughs> oh yeah, you were there. Yeah, for it's that. On video. <laughs> Thanks. Lisa. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> So I started gaining a little bit of ground in the race right there because a lot of people had trouble with the Tarzan rig. And that was about maybe the fourth obstacle in there, I think. They split uh, Lion's Den. They took the rolling drums out of the middle of it and moved them farther down in the race and dug a pit and just had them at ground level over a pit of water. Hmm. So so when I hit Lion's Den and you know shuffled my way up through the, the angled tube, and then popped out on the other side and it's like, well, there's nothing there. You just go down a, an angled ladder thing and you're done. <laughs> that yeah. was kind of a, that was a weird feeling. Cause I was all excited for doing a big run across the drums. Um, but, uh, the, I think the biggest notable thing in that race was getting to smooth criminal, which is the obstacle that has a couple of ninja steps that go into the giant ninja steps that have a horizontal pipe that you grab with your hands and, transition back and forth a couple times um with those walls being slippery and feet were all muddy and wet uh on top of that i mean that was carnage at that obstacle yeah. people were falling over and over and not getting it shins were all scraped up from coming off the ends of the walls um that was a big game changer for a lot of people that had been running a good pace up until that point um, and I, I had to do a second try on that one as well. Yeah. I heard that one just tore up the field, uh, with it yes. being wet and slippery. And yes. I, it was I know, bad. I know some, some people were using like the split method where essentially you like, instead yeah. of bounding back and forth, you actually like lock off and like do like a backwards leg kick and then transition. Is that what you did or did you bound across it? Um, I still bound across it. Um, but I was a lot more deliberate in my launch to make sure my leg was pushing off kind of square to the angle of the wall as opposed to just winging it. Uh, because if I, if I was angled, it, my foot would just slide out from under me. But I believe it, uh, Brenna had posted a video of how she did it and she did that kind of locked off thing where she got a foot on each side and like twisted her torso and then reached for the other side. So she always- That's pretty much how Jordan did it as well. Yeah, because I was watching as I was videoing because I got to live through and yeah, um, that obstacle was definitely determined the male's podium. Yeah, Jordan got through it, but he was very systematic and did it very much of like Brenna did on her video where it was one foot turn, one foot turn, very slow and monotonous in every movement, just cautious. And mm -hmm. the people that were running in second and third at that point, I don't know how experienced they were. 
And it was just, I mean, it was just <laughs> wipeout after wipeout. And so it took Jordan a while to get through, but he got through and then he built a pretty sizable lead at that moment because no one else was getting through. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about Jordan Buscemi, uh, Spartan pro who races conquer the gauntlet. He used to race a lot more. He, I think he's down to like one a year now. So it's good to see him back and good to see him winning again. Uh, the great guy from the Wisconsin OCR crew. Yeah, he's taking up um, bike, I think mountain biking. Oh, interesting. He was actually at, I think he was at Little Switzerland doing a mountain bike race like two weeks before I raced there. So, <laughs> yeah. So he's doing a lot more of biking. So, And then also Nathan Palmer, it was good to see him back on the podium too. So he ended up finishing second for Elite and then uh, kept on running for Continuum, so... Yeah. Correct. Yes, he had a good race. Yeah, it was like I said, it was the obstacles and watching, you know, and watching Jordan go through just very systematic and very cautious. Nathan was not systematic or cautious. He flew. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he, like, he was very much like, oh, okay. And, and it was funny to watch one style to the next, you know, watching um, Jordan be very cautious and careful and you know, deliberate on movements. And then, then Nathan would come through and it, like just swung through monkey bars. I was like, Oh, well maybe they dried in the last 30 <laughs> seconds. I don't know. <laughs> All of a sudden, cause you're like, Ooh, you know, I was video. I was like, Ooh, he's being very careful, like chicken winging monkey bars, shaking out like things like that. And I was like, they must be really slick. And then Nathan comes through. I'm like, well, maybe they're not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan's been to like like every Conquer the Gauntlet in the last like, I don't know, five years. So I think he's got the obstacles down pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Plus all the kids races. He plays on the obstacles there too. Right. Right. You want to get stronger? Go to Conquer Youth and do all their obstacles. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Do like 20 laps. (laughs) Do 20 laps of a kid's course. You'll get stronger. (laughs) (laughs) So... So, D- Doug, how did your race end up finishing? Um, I ended up first in Masters, and I was sixth or seventh overall. So I was very pleased with that. Um, my uh, my ratio timing against first place was pretty high on that race, so I, I knew I was I was definitely in my zone on that one. Good stuff. Congratulations. And there was also a, there was another Spartan pro out there, Mike Ferguson, right? And he ended up finishing with his band. He did. Yeah, which is always good to see. I love seeing some of the other uh, pros come out and experience Conquer the Gauntlet. Because I think, I don't know, I feel like there's this, if you, in, unless you come and experience the race, you don't really understand how difficult it is or, you know, what type of obstacles there are. Because, I mean, you can look at the pictures, but it's just not the same. So Yeah. Right, yeah. He's, he seemed very inspired by Conquer the Gauntlet. Yeah, I know afterwards he said that his whole purpose was just to keep the band, and he did. And he definitely, to know Mike, I mean, Mike is probably one of the nicest guys out there, and he definitely picked a rainy day to try a Conquer the Gauntlet. (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't even like the good rain. It was like that misty, everything's just damp enough to be not wet, but that slick damp. So I think that that's what it was. You know, because rain – Everything's just wet and muddy and gross, but this was that damp, dewy kind of rain. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny. It's like not all bands are created equal, and you definitely earned it if you were out there at Iowa from what the stories I've been hearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So same day as Iowa, you guys had a pretty crazy day. So you finished up racing Conquer the Gauntlet and then drove a couple hours to Minneapolis for Toughest Mudder, the 12-hour uh, overnight OCR, multi-lap OCR. So I know obviously you've been to tons of regular OCRs, but this was your first ultra, like true ultra OCR experience overnight race. Kind of give me some of your initial impressions. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was extremely well run. I thought the camaraderie, like the difference between a traditional elite wave of OCR where there is no helping each other. There is no, you know, it's every man to themselves. Although if you're in an OCR, you know that that doesn't always exist. Like a lot of time there's a lot of cheering and pep talking between the racers. Um, but to watch an, a race where you are helping each other and you do need help, it would be surprising. I'm sure Evan, you probably did, but to do the entire night and not receive assistance anywhere. You I, know? Still, um, I still get help at uh, Everest usually, although this time they had the ropes down. Um, so you yeah, can actually right. run and pull yourself up. But I mean, yep. if there was a hand there when I was grabbing the rope, <laughs> I, I grabbed it. Right? There's no need to yeah. waste extra energy. But other than Correct. that, I pretty much do everything else by myself. I, I know well, for Blockness Monster, um, sometimes I, depending on how many people are in the water, sometimes it's sometimes I'm you know using the that advantage, and sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I just pull myself over. So yeah, right. I, I carefully observed your technique on Blockness Monster. <laughs> <laughs> so my, there are certain obstacles we got to see over and over and over again. <laughs> right. We saw a lot of them. So I'll, I'll let people know my secret. Uh, one, there are imperfections in the obstacle. So there's like a metal lip. And if you feel along, there's a couple of spots where it actually juts out slightly. So I put one hand on that. And I jump and then frog kick and I reach with the other hand, grab the top of the obstacle and then essentially do a pull up and rotate over. You know, if there's people behind me, I'll, you know, reach back and help the block rotate. If there's no one behind me, I just keep on cruising by myself. So yeah, it's my my secret. Letting all my good secrets out here. It's out there now. Everyone knows. Yeah. So (laughs) I think it was really cool just to see the camaraderie and to witness 12 hours and that 12 hours, even just being on crew, that 12 hours went so fast and it's overnight. And I don't do stay up late overnight. So for me to be like, it was like, I honestly thought that was the fastest 12 hours ever. Yeah, it was, it was fast. Yeah. If you're running, I don't know how many miles we ran, but (laughs) I felt like we (laughs) ran like the last mile multiple times. (laughs) If you're running it, I'd say the beginning of the race usually goes by pretty fast. And then as your laps slow slightly, the, uh, usually the end of the race, you're like, why am I still here? You know, why won't right. I? Uh, but um, luckily yeah. with the 8 and 12 hour, for me personally, I can keep a relatively consistent pace. So it actually goes by yeah. pretty quick for me. Um, the 24 hour, when you start hitting those like second half of the race and those laps start taking right. you know, significantly longer, then it feels slower because you're like, what? I only, I've only moved five miles in the last two hours or whatever it is, you know? That, right. Yeah. Right. Mm. So. Yeah. It was pretty cool. And it was really neat. And I said, I think that it's different being an elite racer, trying to figure out strategy. Um, poor Corinne, we just met her that day. 
And so we talked to her a little bit about what she expected from the race. Andy had already given me a heads up that Kareen could win. She said she's going to come in and say that she's not a good runner. She's not really good at these. She's like, but Andy had said to me, you need to know that she could win this. And so I we, feel like, I feel like that's a ter- stereo. I'm going to make a generalization. Yeah. That's like a yeah, stereotypical female response. Like yeah. even the girls on our team are always like, Oh, well, I, this is not, this is not my race or, Oh, look at all the other people right. here. I'm just here for fun. It's like, and then they go and they crush it and they win. It's like, yeah. <laughs> meanwhile, yeah. the, the guys are at the opposite end of the spectrum. They're like, Oh, I'm definitely going to win today. And then they like, yeah, they get blown out of the water, right? You're like 50th place. You're like, Oh, uh, winning. That's weird. right. It's true. It's true. Um, but it was close. She was close, like second place was on her butt all night. So I felt horrible because here this poor girl is just meeting Doug and I. And I was like, you're doing a rolling stop. You're not stopping. We're going to run alongside of you down the road. And we're <laughs> we throwing chocolate her. milk at you. And like, what do you want here? Eat some peaches, eat them faster, eat them faster. <laughs> because I think at one point towards the end, I mean, there was a two minute gap between them and that was it. Yeah. And I yeah. think we were on like three or probably five hours left of the race and two minute gap. So, you know, and the difference is that hard cutoff. So, you know, when your last lap is like, we knew when her last lap was going to be because she wouldn't be able to get another one in, but she had to win that lap. And we didn't, you don't always know where second place or for you, like where first place is, how far have you made up ground on that lap? Have you lost ground? So it was like to crew your first race like that. And then having Andy who had major goals and she actually just had bicep surgery as well. So knowing this was her last race of the season, like it was different trying to, I don't, I think we got spoiled. I think the next person we crew is in a world of hurt because they're not going (laughs) to Like It's going to be like, no, no, you can't sit. Why are you sitting? Get up. They're going to PR for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, because I think at one point, Andy's like, okay, like how, where am I at? How much time do I have? I said, you're at, you know, whatever, hour two right now, but you have to leave this minute. So let's go. <laughs> you're out. <laughs> it is now closed. The table right, is the, you're the gone. Pit, the pit is closed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, get out. Yep, get out. You've been here long enough. So yeah, it was things like that. And we were just laughing. But it was so much fun. Like, I thought that was, like, it was just so much fun. Maybe not for you guys running, but for us, it was a blast. (laughs) So I had my dad and my cousin actually pitting for me. And I'm, you know, we've gotten this down to a pretty good science where I eat the same things every lap. There's no deviation. I don't, I don't ask for special things. Like, they know, they know what I'm going to ask for when I come into the pit. Now, as someone who is pitting for, you know, someone you don't know or just met per se, you know, what were some things, you know, if someone else is listening and they're going to pit crew for someone that you say maybe were a surprise to you or uh, some kind of key takeaways you have for other people who are going to pit crew for other people? I think the benefit that we had, and Doug, you could speak to this as well for you, is we were capable of running out to, and it normally was blockness to blockness, which you had, what did we figure out? It was like five minutes from blockness to when they actually hit the pit, Doug, if that. It, it, yeah, it was, it, it was right about five minutes. So we were able to run out to blockness and basically say, 
what are you going to want? Because it was like, there was a whole bunch of things and then they would run out of stuff. I'm like, well, you can't have that. Sorry. And then we would start (laughs) rationing what they could have of things that they were repetitive. Like we learned really fast, like what repetitively they were asking for. Um, Andy was like always an orange. Um, Green was peaches and chocolate milk. So Andy was normally like an orange and she had ginger ale mixed with water, ginger ale straight or just water. So um, it was pretty consistent. I don't know. You can probably speak to that a little bit too. Or did you disappear? Um, A four or five foot wide table and half of it was for Corinne and half of it was for Andy. So we kept their stuff separate. Um, They were very organized by having the notebook with their projected paces per lap basically. Um, And so we were just trying to keep them keep on track. But for someone that's new to pitting, I would say to sit and talk with your runner and, you know, get some of that information down on paper, like, like what's your goals here. And that way you can keep, help keep them on track when they're frazzled and not thinking straight. Yeah, it's good stuff. Now I, I know you were, we were joking about, you know, how, how you kept on pushing people to keep moving and actually, you know, even whether you're trying to win or hit a PR or just survive the night, I think that's the actually the best technique is to keep moving. Because I know even on warm races, when I stop moving, I get cold, right? Like endure the gauntlet, the 48-hour one, it was like whatever, 75 degrees at night, and I was like a borderline heat casualty earlier that day. And I would stop moving, for, and five, ten minutes later, I'd be, I'd be shivering, right? I'd be like I needed to wrap myself in my dry robe to stay warm, so – you know, wow. and it only, it only gets worse when the, you know, like a world's toughest mother last year was like 32 degrees. So it, it only gets worse when it gets colder. So, you know, keeping, keeping moving, keeping that, you know, keep generating your own internal body heat is, is the way to go. Um, and it's the reason I run shirtless at almost every toughest mother. I've never, the close, I, I put on a Neptune top, uh, during toughest mother Philly. And out of the all the ones in America I've done, I've never put on a, I've never put on neoprene for the eight hour or twelve hour ones. Um, I did put on neoprene in UK because it was raining the whole time, so I couldn't, I couldn't, like I was never dry, so I uh, I started getting cold in the middle. Right. Of the so I put on a frog skin top, but yeah, that makes sense. Well, and it was like people can go to. I think I was on the CTG Pro team. Uh, Facebook page live and watch your pit. And when I say rolling pit, I think <laughs> your pit lasted approximately 10 seconds. Yeah, we were getting good. We were getting good at it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was every lap. <laughs> so, but it was cool because it was fun to see so many people out on course and be able to cheer for everybody. And I think my biggest concern was that at some point, like, Andy or Kareen was going to come through and we weren't going to see them because again, it's somebody like Andy, I would recognize in the dark, but I was a little concerned. I wouldn't recognize Kareen because we just met her that day. So it was like, uh Oh, she could run past us and we wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, but that never happened. So it was good. Yeah. yeah. Me, me and my dad and my, my cousin have a, sent you a far recognition signal that I'm not going to tell you because I don't want other people using it. And then it's going <laughs> to confuse them because they're yeah. going to see other people doing it. But, 
we have, I, we have I noticed signal. that. Oh, you, yeah. you got it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. So, yeah. So, and then it also helps, you know, having something noticeable at your tent, right? So I have the giant hammer nutrition banner, uh, which helps. Right. Although at night, it suddenly becomes a little bit harder to see. So a lot of times, yeah. you know, at some races, I'll purposely set up near like one of the big lights or maybe something that's unique on the ground, you know, like a giant, if there's some like giant fence post or, you know, like, all right, I know I'm right after the turn or something like that, you know, so, something that's very easily noticeable and you're not relying on, um, you know, your vision in the darkness there. Right. Well, and it, having that front row would have been crucial too. I think, I think that if you would have to like go all the way, you know, cause it was like, there was a couple rows of tents and if you have to go like all the way actually in, I think that that would have been a little bit more time consuming than having that right off the, the line. Yeah, absolutely. And they're doing a much better job as far as in- integrating the pit where there's a lot more people with good spots in the past. They've done it where like there's only essentially one front row, which is garbage. Cause then if you're not in that front row, you're at a severe disadvantage. So, yeah. right. Yeah. Good. So speaking of toughest mutter, Evan, you clearly were there. So how did your race go? So my race went really well. After I ran the last toughest, when you start collecting, so they give you a mileage patch at the end, and it, you know they're they have one for every five mile increment, which is cool. It's a nice change. And when I picked up my fifty five at toughest east, I noticed that the patches only went up to sixty. There's no sixty five patch. So I was like, all right, well I, I need to get sixty at the next one, so I can <laughs> like max out their patches. Um, it would be cool. We're gonna have to go make new patches now, yeah. thanks to you. I guess it'd be cooler. It'd be cooler to break their system and get more than they have they have produced. But uh, my goal was to get sixty. Uh, so that was kind of my whole focus the entire time. And the race started off with a good pace. You know, everyone like for the first time at a toughest mutter ever, people went out like at an actual reasonable pace. And I was I'm usually a lot further back at the end of the first lap, and I found myself in like the top ten at the end of the first lap, which I was like, oh, yeah. well, that's a nice surprise. People are being reasonable right. for once. Um, I yeah. did, I did see uh, Matt Hansen stop on the first lap to save a baby turtle in the middle of his lap. So he's he, like, oh. stopped running, picked up a turtle in the middle of the trail, moved it off to the side, and then kept running. Which I thought was funny. And then, um, yeah, it's just a matter of settling into your pace after all the obstacles opened, and just kind of cruising along. And I moved up at the top three pretty quickly. I think by lap two or three. And then I mm-hmm. uh, just started chipping away and eventually Matt Hansen uh, passed me. And then the guy who was in first, uh, Alec Blennis, who's a name I haven't heard in a couple of years. He used to do OCR a lot more in like 2015, uh, was in first for a while and ended up dropping out after I think 30 or 35 miles, something like that. 35, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. he quit after 35. And then, uh, so it was just me and Matt and chasing him down all night and I was basically I was hoping he'd blow up um because at one of the races it was like a year or two ago one of the toughest mutters I ended up passing him on the last lap because he had he had blown up and um so after the race I was talking to him I was like yeah I was ho- kept hoping you'd blow up because I you know I had I had my pace at that point and I didn't really have any more to give that's kind of just what I was operating on and he's like he's like I did blow up and I was like what um but he his blow up is it's like a mild it's a very mild blow up like he he went from doing like sub hour laps to like an hour I yeah think, seven or an hour and eight or something like that yeah um, so it wasn't enough lap 
Well, yeah. it was his last like two laps. Started slowing. Yeah. So it wasn't yeah. enough, it wasn't enough for me to catch him. Uh, and my I was kind of focused on sixty. So I did hit sixty, and I think he ended up beating me by nineteen minutes ish. Uh, but when he crossed the line, he collapsed, and he had to go to the medical tent. So uh, I count that as a small victory. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty big victory. <laughs> <laughs> because Matt, Matt's like Matt's a really good athlete, right? I mean, top five world's toughest mutter in the past. Um, you know, he's he's been in top five to several toughest mutters. So you know, really stellar athlete. So I was just I was just happy that I could make him work for it. To be honest with you, so that was pretty cool. Right. And um, yeah. he, he ended up getting 60. I got both. I got 60. And the other cool part was, uh, you know, while we, the two of us were battling out, third and fourth were battling out. And yeah. uh, uh, John Donnelly. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher Akash's name. Uh, Akash Garg, I believe. I'm sorry. I'm butchering your name probably. Uh, so the guy who finished third, Akash, right, uh, ends up finishing his 50th mile and – I guess doesn't have time to go back out for 55 or doesn't think he has time. So he stops. And the guy in fourth, uh, John Donnelly is like, I think I can fin, I think I can finish one more and essentially move into third. So he goes back out and you know, the whole crowd is kind of waiting and sitting there. Oh, it's going to make, and he comes in and has electroshock therapy and the uh, mutterhorn, the big A-frame cargo net. And there's literally like two minutes and 30 seconds left. And he makes yeah. it probably, you know, two thirds of the way up Motorhorn, and uh, time just runs out. And it was like, ah, oh. but like if he had had a bracelet to pass that, he would have made it. Yeah, so I was talking was to him on back. Instagram. He was like, yeah, he didn't think he was going to go back out for that last lap, so he'd used all of his bracelets essentially. Or, um, right. yeah, I guess you get one more, but I, I don't know what he used it on. But yeah. So. Yeah, well, and I, we were standing there. I think, Doug, were you with me? And I could hear them say, if you can get one more lap in, he's third is not going out for a last lap. You need to get one more lap in. And, like, at that point, I think mentally he wasn't prepared to do that last lap. So I think he just he just didn't say anything to his crew. He just kind of went back out. I was like, ooh, that probably is not the best feeling ever. You know, when you're, like, mentally, I'm done. Right. And then yeah. you find out crap I could take third if I get this lap in and I said had he had a band to bypass it or even I mean two minutes that's all it would have been two minutes and he would have gotten another lap but it was pretty cool that they basically stopped everybody they wouldn't do awards or anything until he crossed the finish line because that whole lap didn't count you know so you just ran five miles for fun yeah, five miles after running forty-five, which is less yeah. fun. Yeah. So. So. And that mental that mental edge makes a huge difference, right? I mean, I'm, I I ran essentially nonstop for sixty miles, and when I cross the finish line, my my mind tells my body that it's over, and I have right. trouble walking to the bathroom, right? Like, because my right. mentally I'm out of it at that point. My and my body's like, everything hurts. Please stop. Do whatever you're doing. Uh, right, you know the the first forty five minutes after one of these ultras is I think is the worst is absolutely the worst because like my my knees ankles and hips and my whole lower body hurts and there's really nothing you can do about it you just kind of kind of ride the pain wave and it goes away after about forty five minutes to an hour every time but yeah it's very uncomfortable <laughs> do not like oh. it yeah so like I yeah. 
I, I even if sitting down hurts and like laying down hurts and you know, it kind of, kind of makes me fidget, but um, I don't know. I've done enough of these events where I know it's coming and I know it'll stop in an hour. I just gotta, just gotta kind of try to take my mind off things and uh, try, find something else to do for that hour. So. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Yeah, Doug so, and I were exhausted just from, you know, like CTG Iowa driving up, doing that, and then coming back to Wisconsin right afterwards. And we were pretty dead. <laughs> I can't imagine running it and being functional. Yeah. And then the, the other worst part is it throws off my sleep schedule for the week. Cause now I'm like, I was awake all night and I was like, at the end I was like chugging caffeine and my body hurts. Right. So like laying down is not very comfortable either. And sleeping is not very comfortable. So. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that we got sleep for that entire weekend because Doug had to, what time was your flight the next morning out of O'Hare? It was pretty early. Do you remember? Are you there? I think I lost. We lost Doug. We lost Doug. <laughs> yeah, but I think his flight was at like 8 a.m. out of O'Hare, and I live two and a half hours from O'Hare. So the alarm was going, like he had never met my mom, so we had to drive back, go to dinner because my mom was in town, and then get up at like 4.30, I think. So That was a very early morning. Yeah, oh, there you are. Yeah, yeah. it was... It was like no sleep for an entire weekend. Yeah. I had to pretend I was in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> <It did. laughs> so. All right. So let's keep it moving. Doug, you also, this past weekend, you did Hero Dash. So tell us a little bit about that it's a, and how it went. Okay. Um, so the, there's an organization in Mississippi called the, the Mississippi Adopt a Hero Foundation, um, which obviously supports first responders. And they decided to do an OCR to raise money for their cause. And they called in uh, Battle OCR to do the coursework and design obstacles and lay out the course. Um, Battle OCR is out of Southern Louisiana. Uh, and they've put obstacles in the North American Championship before. And they have an obstacle that will be in a couple weeks called Valkyrie, which is a rig that goes up about 10 or 12 feet high with uh, Olympic rings that angle at a 45 degree angle up and then at a 45 degree angle down. Um, so that was really neat to to run into like a, a very professional course for a relatively small town event. And it brought in some regionally known people to run it. Um, it was about four miles long and probably about 25 obstacles. Uh, it had a, a unique feature. It had a, a kayak portion. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> it was probably <laughs> about a half mile kayak paddle. In the um, OCR, like as part of the yes. rest. Yes. How do they move because that? How do they move? How do they have enough kayaks? I don't understand. Well, okay, so so it's a it's a state park on the Bogchito River, and they the there's like an outfitter that rents kayaks for the public, and so they had tons and tons of kayaks, and they just had them lined up down the bank, and they said there's a turnaround spot up the river, start paddling. 
and there was plenty there was enough for everyone and they had a, a long enough time break between heats i think they'd kind of calculated that um so i i didn't see or but hear that anyone didn't get a kayak my question is to you uh -huh. how are how is your kayaking skills in that race did you get passed by anybody <laughs> okay so <laughs> did a small child beat you is that what's going on <laughs> it's it, it's actually worse <laughs> so what happened was <laughs> okay the the race director sid morris at the start line he said there is a kayak portion i don't care how you get your kayak up the river just do it and everybody just kind of looked at each other like okay so me and david caraway were neck and neck for first place just paddling our butts off and we're in a shallow rapids part and this guy comes running past us dragging his kayak behind him <laughs> and, and and the guy's just saying over and over sid said it's okay sid said it's okay <laughs> they're in kayaks paddling and a guy runs past them <laughs> and that guy moved up like five positions like he was way back and he he became the leader for the rest of that kayak because he turned he hit the deep water got back in his kayak and just kept on trucking <laughs> uh, yeah that that was an interesting twist that was a that section of water was a complete shift in all the places like you know everybody that seemed like they were settled in for their places for a lot of the race it all changed right there <laughs> i just imagine doug and if you know david doug and david are good friends and like they've I just imagine them like battling and then this guy just running past them. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what, what happened. happened? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I turned around going downstream, you know, it was, a, it was a pretty good flow of water and we've had a lot of rain down here. Um, going downstream, I happened to look at my watch with the GPS running and I was, I was paddling like a 12 or 13 uh, minute mile pace with the kayak and I thought I'm really moving <laughs> but but you know so is everyone else we were all putting in the same effort I guess yeah um so that was only that was only like the third obstacle into the race and like like that's a different type of cardio like you're using all your upper body for cardio which is not common in racing <laughs> so so it was a different feeling, like like my legs had kind of relaxed, but then they were tense from pushing at the the foot rests in the kayak, and it it took me probably another quarter mile to kind of go back into a normal running feel to it. So I mean that that was a really cool twist to the race, definitely. And that's what I love about some of these smaller local races. There's like it, they just they're completely outside the box, right? You know, it's just yeah. like yeah the tire slack line and then you have this kayak portion <laughs> right with apparently right. apparently runnable and uh yeah. <laughs> part of it yeah <laughs> it's just crazy yeah yeah i did a adventure a 12-hour adventure race once and the kayak portion it was on a lake it was the worst part of the race like yeah of course we didn't train kayak we just winged it because that's what we yeah. do we're like oh i'll just yeah. it. i'll just man up right i'll just power through it you know and like <laughs> An hour and a half into kayaking across the lake, I'm like, oh, my lower back's killing me. This is terrible. Right. Why didn't we practice? Um, right. Yeah. So how was the rest of the how was the rest of the hero dash? 
Um, well, it was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. so there were three or four of us that were kind of bouncing around for the lead positions from that point on. And uh, I was, I was right behind, I, th I think his name was Benjamin Capello. And he's, he's a pretty fast OCR runner, uh, pretty well known in Southern Louisiana. And uh, we get to the last section of obstacles, which is like a crazy balance section, which is basically two slack lines that go up to uh, an overhead slack line that you have to go hand over hand across and then back down. Uh, and then there's immediately another obstacle. So when we get to that, uh, you know, we're both going fast and like we're slipping, you know, didn't, didn't slow down and take a couple deep breaths before doing balance. And uh, when we get to the, the one they called Valkyrie, uh, that, that changed everything because so many people got stuck there because it took a tremendous pull up to reach the next ring. You know, basically you pulled up and then had to lock off long enough to reach up and grab the next ring. And there was like six or seven rings going up at this 45 degree angle. And then to make it even more diabolical, there's a, a force five D ring hold in the middle to transition on before you come down the rings on the other side. And at that moment, your feet are probably eight feet off the ground. So just the height element was, was a big mental challenge. Even if people had decent grip strength, they were just kind of thinking, what if? So, so the lead changed big there. Um, the final obstacle was about a 20 foot tall caving ladder on a scaffold structure that crossed over a platform at the top and then came down a rope. Uh, so, you know, that, you know, legs were cramping on that thing. Cause those, you know, it's a free swinging ladder and you, you try to get your feet on it and, and keep your balance and everything. And your muscles tense up weird after running on those. Um, but I was able to, to pull ahead through that section and landed first place. Awesome. That's first place overall, not yes, not yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and, and it was interesting, I guess. <laughs> right, right. And all three podium guys, first, second, third place, were all over forty. I yeah. thought that was a very interesting twist, but that showed we had some powerhouses out there. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, and uh, and the top female was the only female to keep her band through the race. No other females were able to complete that that Valkyrie. So work, some, good, uh, some good tips for those who headed to North American OCR Championships or OCR World Championships there, because that obstacle will definitely be at Noram. I'm not sure if it'll be at OCRWC, but um, right, yeah, it's good things to take note of there. Now I went a week after Toughest Mudder. I like once a year, I, I occasionally do this where I run an ultra OCR and then try to do a regular shorter race like a week later, uh, which is not a good idea and I don't recommend it. <laughs> but I like to try to like defy the what I think is like the limits, right? And be like, well, I you know I did it, I did something huge, and now I can do something short and and still do well. And it usually doesn't go super well, or like I don't perform with my potential, uh, but. Now, I went back to Long Island because uh, that's where my family's from, 
So I was going to run Tough Mudder, Tougher Mudder Long Island, so t- basically an eight-mile race a week after my 60-mile of Toughest Mudder. And when I showed up at tougher, tougher, Tough Mudder Long Island or Tougher Mudder Long Island, landed on Friday, I get off the plane, and basically I got a bunch of text messages that say the race has been canceled. So uh, they... You know, it was it was run at a Bethpage uh, Century Park that's owned by Nassau County. Tough Mudder didn't explicitly say this, but I I think if you watch the video of the CEO Kyle, um, re, I think you can read between the lines, and I'm pretty sure Nassau County canceled the race, not Tough Mudder, right? Because why would Tough Mudder cancel one of their own races if they don't absolutely have to? Um, you know, the CEO is like, yeah, we 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 added water stations, we added mist stations. Uh, but after talking to our stakeholders, uh, which what does that even mean? Like, who's a stakeholder? I I guess the people that own the property. Um, they said we we decided to cancel it for the the safety and health of everyone, which I thought was a a BS call, frankly. You know, it was at the start time of tougher mudder. It was 83 degrees, um, and it was going to reach a high of 93 according to the weather forecast on Friday. Oh um, yeah. And the humidity was high, right? So the heat index is going to feel it was going to be feel hotter. Um, but I just, I just thought it was like, you know, it was just it was just like shameful society. Like, all right, someone take personal accountability for your your own performance, right? Like, right. You know, if if you're overweight and you've been day drinking, and then you're you're going to try to run eight miles and you haven't trained at all, yeah, it's probably not going to go super well. Um, right. <laughs> now. I don't know. I'm always of the opinion of, you know, take accountability for your, and responsibility for your own actions. And, um, well, and I wouldn't even want to know, Doug, how hot was it when you raced? Cause it's been ridiculously hot down there. Oh yeah. I mean the, the heat index almost every day is over a hundred here, yeah. you know, with like 98% humidity most of the time. I mean, I like, I regularly train it around the one Oh five heat index. Cause I run it at lunchtime. A lot of times it works. So yeah, I mean, it's just what you're accustomed to, I guess. Yeah, and there was there was a rugged maniac going on in Tri-State, so uh, Raceway Park, New Jersey, so northern New Jersey. There was Fit Challenge going on in Connecticut. Oh, uh, Bone Fry was in Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. I was say that All was these good. other races are, like, literally a couple hours away, and, you know, uh, Nassau County ended up canceling the race, which is, like... Right. Which, That's again... Crazy. You know, if you if it's so dangerous to be outside, then why did weren't the beaches closed, right? Like, why don't we? Right. Why aren't the police driving around telling people to get back inside their house? <laughs> right. you know? Like, it's, state right. of like, emergency. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Yeah, state of emergency, right? You know, so um, <laughs> I, I was I was more upset because uh, I left my wife for the weekend, who has yeah month old. Oh. So uh, yeah, I was like, ah, well, you know, you left for essentially for nothing. And I was like, yeah, so um, but. I got to hang out with my family yeah. and see some friends. I still hang out with some of the Tough Mudder uh, community people. So, oh, that's good. It wasn't a complete waste. Well, and you went to a ninja gym, didn't you? Yeah, I went to Obstacle Athletics, the uh, ninja gym owned by uh, Kevin Mudman Laplatney out in uh, Deer Park, Long Island. So it was a good time. Practiced my spear throw. No <laughs> big deal. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see my video? Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I, I hit four out of five in the video. The video I took before that, I hit one out of five. So I didn't, I didn't upload that one. <laughs> well, at least you know, like, when the camera's on, you have to perform. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I would be zero out of five, so. <laughs> it was from 30 feet, so that was, I think it's normally, yeah. races is 20 to 30 feet. 
uh, is what yeah. I yeah. what the Google told me. So yep, I went with the further one. But good, train train up, train up. <laughs> I would go from ten feet and still miss, but it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so the other kind of interesting thing was last week through a connection at KCOCR. I went to Advanced Healthcare and Sports uh, Injury Center. So it's a chiropractic center. And they also do some other things like active release therapy and dry needling and adjustments. And um, I think they have some other recovery modalities there. But went there a couple days after uh, Toughest Mudder. So still, you know, covered in rash and, you know, my, all my muscles were still tight. And it was pretty cool. I met with uh, Dr. Kirk Iotis. So, um, uh, sports chiropractor essentially and he went through and did like a essentially a assessment of me basically asked you know where my problems were uh, which is I don't have any major problems but like my calves are usually tight and I occasionally get some uh, tendonitis in my left knee so I told him that he did a assessment of me and then put me through a couple of the modalities so did some adjustments essentially cracked my ankles um, and based off what based off what he saw and what I was complaining about, he was like, oh, I think it's um, such a tightness in your ankles that's causing like problems up your, you know, uh, lower leg chain. Um, so that was cool to kind of have get like that assessment. And then he did, like I said, adjusted the ankles, adjusted the back and uh, did some active release therapy on the calves. So essentially it's a combination of like stretching slash massage. So kind of helps loosen it up. And then did some, um, oh, that, the other one was instrument-assisted uh, IASTM, which I can't remember what the other letters stand for. But basically, they take a metal tool, and they scrape your muscles to kind of loosen the fascia on your muscles. Uh, so he did that. Yeah, arm. I had that done on my arm. Yeah, what did you think of it? It's, it doesn't hurt, but it's not comfortable. Yeah, If agreed. that makes sense. Like, it's just it, it's not painful but it's like that feels a little bit odd. like you're crossing the line of that might hurt but it doesn't you know it's it's just i don't know so i tell everybody it doesn't hurt it's uncomfortable it's not so they also do but, dry, dry needling there have you had dry needling done i haven't but i've heard about it and i've heard that it's amazing yeah it's pretty good uh we've talked about it on the podcast before but essentially they take a needle it's like acupuncture but they they put one needle in and they, they kind of stick it into your muscle until it touches like a nerve and then your, your muscle flinches and kind of uh, relaxes yeah. a little bit. And it's supposed to take away a lot of the pain that you, if you're having yeah. uh, due to injuries. So I've had that done on my pec and uh, I, there was no need to do it on this uh, particular session, so I did not have it done. But right. some of the other modalities were pretty cool. Uh, Dr. Iotis was very knowledgeable. It was super cool. So we're gonna, actually going to bring him on the podcast probably in the next month or two and have them run through kind of everything that they provide. And I know like if you're not from Kansas city, it's like, Oh, what good does that do me? Well, you can find a similar, uh, you know, sports, uh, chiropractic type office in your area and get a lot of the same treatments done. So I think it'll be really educational. I know I learned a lot just going to his office for one visit. So i definitely plan on going back in the future, you know, right before, right after kind of some major races I have coming up. All right, we're going to start wrapping it up. We've got three people on the podcast, so it means it's time for tell us one thing about <laughs> yourselves. You're going to be surprised to know. 
And we got Doug or Lisa up first. Who's going first? Oh, please let me go first. Doug. <laughs> Doug volunteered. I love it. Let's go. Yes. Oh. I think it was sarcasm, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore it. Yeah. That, <laughs> no, I knew what I was stepping into. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I, 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 there's a couple foods I really hate. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, uh, people might be surprised to know one is English peas. I can't stand the texture, the smell, even, even the sight of them. Just... What's English peas? Is that different from regular peas? It's a regular pea. It's just well, a regular pea. Peas. Peas. <laughs> it's weird. No, it's, not, it's not chickpeas. It's not snap peas. It's just the round green English. balls. He'll eat everything else, but he will not eat a pea, like a regular pea. No. And you can't even cook them in the house. Like, <laughs> no, they're banned. Of a banned. Lisa <laughs> <laughs> right. has not figured out a way to sneak those in any type of diet. I've gotten everything <laughs> else snuck in except for peas. <laughs> she, she snuck cottage cheese in on me. And <laughs> I really have banned cottage cheese too, but somehow she got away with that. <laughs> <laughs> But peas are a no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Lisa, what do you got? So I know that we did a podcast and we talked about my diving experience, but I don't (laughs) think we ever hit on the fact that I played a mermaid. So I've been a mermaid (laughs) multiple times. (laughs) So, um, in (laughs) as you run out of oxygen, are you allowed to make bubbles, or is it like a no bubble policy? (laughs) There's a no bubble policy. No, um, we, yeah, no, we had. Um, <laughs> I can't I tell if you're serious or not. Are you serious? <laughs> no, there's not a no bubble oh, policy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's still floating mermaids. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we had to. I did it for two different tanks. So I, because they realized really fast that I had learned how to be a mermaid, so they kept using that. So whenever the mermaid in our shows needed a day off. I got to take her place. So one show was a concrete pool, which was the best because you didn't have to do anything but hold on to a weight at the bottom of the pool and you could use a regulator because no one could see in the water. So you just had to, like, they put a speaker underneath so you could hear, like, your cues and you could pop up above the water and then you would go back under again. Um, and But the other pool was a plexiglass tank. And so they give you, like, it's like a straw. It's a clear wand. And those are actually really hard to use. So I actually had to train to learn how to use one of those. But so you just, it, it's like a straw that you just put in your mouth and you can swim with it and it's clear. So the audience couldn't see it, but yeah. So that's how we breathe on the water. And then where's but, the straw? I'm still, where's it? Can I, it's just sticking above the water. I'm confused where what's going on. No, it goes into an oxygen tank. Okay. So everything's linked uh. into an oxygen tank. So yeah, we were hooked <laughs> into oxygen. So um, but there were times that we would forget to check the levels of the oxygen before show. Good. So yeah. there was a time that I ran out of oxygen underwater. So, um, and you would just be breathing on a straw and nothing was coming and you would ruin the show because you're like, and the mermaid now is going to be. Lost. Like, she's not <laughs> We've lost water. another mermaid. <laughs> yep. Let the mermaid out. So, Yeah. But it was fun. It was a definite unique experience 
I'm not one that I ever need to fully experience multiple times again soon. So. (laughs) All right. So I'll bounce off a little bit of Doug's uh, story. So when you're in army training, they give you meals ready to eat, which are essentially bagged meals that last pretty much forever, not forever, but they last like 10 years and uh, terrible for you. They're like super high in trans fat. Uh, but and high in saturated fat, but it's it's meant to help you survive in combat in extreme situations. So from that, I I've eaten a bunch of things. One of them, which is what when you said peas, reminded me of um, the roast roast beef MRE and the um, chicken pesto pasta. Where if the first time I had that food was in the MRE, I now don't like it as a real food because it reminds me of the MRE. So like if I had the food beforehand and then I had the MRE, I'd be like, Oh, this tastes good. But if I had the MRE first, I, I, like, I, I refuse to eat roast beef. I'd refuse to eat uh, chicken pesto pasta. <laughs> like it tastes like that it, to me. I can like taste the preservatives, even though there's none in it. If you make it fresh. Right. Um, but it's kind of linked to that. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah. And then uh, that one's not too exciting, so I'll follow up with another one that's actually from my, my new book, Ultra OCR Man. Uh, so when I was deployed in 2008, uh, my boss calls me. I'm on quick reaction force, so we have to respond to any incidents. And he's like, hey, we need to go over to the Iraqi army compound, which is like two miles down the road. Um, they have King Faisal's car. And I was like, what? Like King Faisal, the original ruler of Iraq. If you've seen the movie Lawrence of Arabia – He's the, like the main Arab character in it that's working with Lawrence. Um, so we go over to the Iraqi army compound and they say, yeah, we recovered King Faisal's car from Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And here it is. And sitting in the middle of Iraq in 2008 is a 1930s Rolls Royce Phantom in like wow. mint condition, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know how much that car is worth, but I mean, it had to be worth, <clears throat> like the car by itself had to be worth millions, like a million or so. And then the, the value, because it's linked to a historical figure, had to, you know, double the value of the car or something. So, That's yeah. insane. I got a picture of myself in front of this Rolls Royce Phantom. And uh, we looked at it. And uh, I have no idea what happened to the car after that. I never saw it again. <laughs> the, Iraqi <laughs> army, the Iraqi army took it. I have no idea what they did with it. If they, I, I literally have no idea. It could be in a museum. could be in someone's yeah. garage. Um, right. Yeah, someone could have, somebody could be driving around cruising town in it. But it was just it was just crazy, you know. Like it's in 2008, right? So the invasion was five years ago, and you know this car is who the hell knows where this car was, and there it is, 2008, mint condition, Rolls Royce. So huh. yeah, you can read that story uh, in a little more detail in my book, and a bunch of other kind of interesting, cool uh, war stories from Iraq. So that's now available on the website, TeamStrengthSpeed.com. Ultra OCR man, all the profits go to the charity Folds of Honor. If you liked a lot of these smaller race series, my other book, Mud Run Guides Ultimate OCR Bucket List, is on the website also. It's also now on digital, uh, which you can find on Amazon. And then the other big news is we just got a restocking of bleg mitts. So the three millimeter ones and the one millimeter ones are in stock, small, medium, and large, all sizes. And then on top of that, there's actually a special going on right now where you can get the medium, I mean, sorry, the extremes, you know, the three millimeter ones and the lights, the one millimeter ones, uh, and save $10 off the total price. So pick those up. Uh, the lights, there's been, been some confusion. The lights are not the old versions, right? So the, if you bought yours in 2018 or earlier, they don't sell those anymore. Those are not sold. Those are 
Those are old model, uh, not super good. Those are actually two millimeter ones. Now uh, the lights and the extremes are both new in 2019. And uh, yeah, one's one millimeter, one's three millimeter. Much better the top opening flap as opposed to the vertical flap that the older versions have. So uh, check those out. We will probably run out by the time World's Toughest Motor goes, gets here. So make sure you order them sooner rather than later if you want them for World's Toughest. And other than that, we just updated the CTG Pro Team website. So go over and head, check that out. It's got a bunch of Stoke Sheds videos like we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. And just yep. put some, some other pretty cool stuff up there. So explore around. I also included a recovery center section that lists a couple places in the U.S. you can go get chiropractic treatment or dry needling or active release therapy or cryotherapy, stuff like that, that uh, some of the protein uses. Yeah. Anything else, Doug? Um, I think that's everything. <laughs> Lisa. We're all good. All right. That's it. I'm going to go take care of my crying baby. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no. I've said enough. Now he's actually not crying right now. He was a little fussy earlier, though. But I need, I should need, I need oh. to pick on him. So, yeah. There are many reasons why I don't have children, and that's probably one of the main ones. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll, uh, we'll catch you guys later. All right. All right. Bye.